0: Hi guys, Lauren here, and today I wanted to revisit an interview that's one of my favorites with authors Tessa Grattan and Natalie C. Parker. Natalie's next book, Seafire, is out August 28th, and Tessa's next book, Strange Grace, is out September 18th. Stay tuned to listen to our chat from 2014 about their then-new releases, Beware the Wild and The Strange Maid, which was featured on litharist.com. It's all coming up on this episode of the Inkfeather Podcast. Welcome to the Inkfeather podcast. We bring you fun new glimpses into the world of fantasy and science fiction publishing. Here you'll find interviews with the authors you love, insight from industry professionals, book reviews both succinct and extensive, and more. I'm your host and the founder of Inkfeather Book Reviews, Lauren Zurchin. Hi, Litherous. This is Lauren Zurchin, your managing book editor here from San Diego Comic-Con 2014. Excuse my voice. I had a fun night last night. I was at a loud bar with a lot of cool friends, and I kind of lost my voice, so I sound a little scratchy this morning. Um, but I'm here with two amazing authors. I'm with Natalie C. Parker and Tessa Grattan. They are going to be doing an interview with us today, so hi, guys. Hi. 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 Thanks for joining. Thanks for having us. Awesome. Okay, so... For those of you who are followers of Lythras, we've had Tessa on a few times. She's one of our favorites. We love her books. And Natalie is with us, and she's got a book coming out this fall. And I thought it was really interesting because their books are very different, but there's some cool themes that I thought we could cover and kind of have a neat, interesting discussion about, you know, YA tropes and and what's going on with their books. So okay. First off, why don't you guys give me the pitches for the most your most recent book and then your upcoming book, just so people have a general idea what we're talking about.
1: Okay. Uh, well, Beware the Wild is my debut, and it comes out in October. It's about a small Louisiana town with a swamp at its center, and everybody knows the swamp is a little bit strange. They don't go into it. They don't really talk about it. Uh, one day, a boy goes in. He doesn't come out. A girl comes out and takes his place in his family and inside the town. Everyone forgets that he ever existed, except for his little sister. So it's her story. (laughs) My newest book
2: is called The Strange Maid. It is book two in my United States of Asgard series. And the United States of Asgard is an alternate history that takes place in a USA founded by Vikings and their gods. So the gods are real and they're wandering around interfering in Congress. And there are trolls rampaging in the Rockies and a (laughs) dedicated branch of the military um, for dealing with those trolls. And there's also high school and cell phones. And the second book is an epic
0: adventure about a girl who wants to be a Valkyrie. Cool. All right, so both books are great. I've had the pleasure of reading them. And, um, I, I just think this would be really interesting to kind of tackle the, like I said, the broad theme. So first let's talk about traditions because we have, um, in Tessa's book, we have more like Nordic traditions and Natalie's book, we have almost a, a Southern Gothic, like more like homespun kind of traditions. So how do you know which traditions to honor? Why did you go about choosing those themes and traditions for you guys?
1: Uh, Well, for me, this first book is uh, very much tied to my entire family coming from the Deep South. So all of my life, I was told stories about uncles and grandparents and all the crazy escapades that they would have in nature. So it always had something to do with the land. Um, and who knows how many of those were true. I, I doubt that very many of them were true. But I really have always loved that, that notion that small towns keep their own culture and history in the stories that they tell about each other. So for me, I really wanted to use storytelling as part of a unifying but also um, kind of creepy element of small town life. Yeah, because there's
0: actually like parts in the book where there's like, local books where the, the the traditions of the creepy stories have been passed down and held and it, it's almost part of the culture of the area like yes. it's, it's the is the storytelling tradition you know mm-hmm. so it's it's very interesting how how it the story kind of wraps around that and same thing with yours too I mean obviously yours the traditions are way older well I don't even know if they're older they're just very different it's like way more because it's religious based in a lot of ways and um, but there's so much influence, and I actually love, one of the things I loved about the first book and the second book is how you brought that modern, and kept the old traditions alive, but fitted in with our world, and um, just how you were able to find that balance.
2: Thanks, that is the point of writing the series, so I'm really glad you yeah, like it. Yeah, I love it, that's <laughs> one of my favorite things, it really
0: is, because it's like, you, you feel, I feel like so often you, you have this line, like, oh, it's Nordic, so it needs to feel old, but it's almost the premise is if they're gods, they'd still be here. So mm. what would that be like? And if they were here actively in our world, how would that be? And I love that, you know, the Congress and the army, and because it's practical in a sense. It's like That's why I built this world specifically modern. I get asked a lot
2: why, if I wanted to write about Norse mythology and Valkyries and Loki and all that stuff, yeah. I didn't write just a straight fantasy or historical fantasy or something. But when I was in grad school, it was 2005, and... Um, We were in multiple wars, and my dad was in Iraq, Mm -hmm. and I was very aware of the discourse in America, the politics and the media and and everyday um, conversations about war and warrior culture and how important those themes were in America, that we were constantly talking about um, you know, glory and honor and not with those words, but it was the exact same thing I was reading about in old English epic poetry like Beowulf and finding in the history of Beowulf, which is that, you know, it, uh, the roots of that is Germanic and Norse. Yeah. And I was like, wow, the same things that our Western warrior culture uh-huh. has been engaging with for 2000 years is still happening right now. I can see these threads of, like the Viking... Um, it, it wasn't officially an empire, but they were conquerors mm-hmm. and, you know, and and, slavers, and they went out and they were also explorers. And those are all things that Americans are too. Exactly. We
0: don't think about that right now because it's 2014. Right. But yeah, I mean, we had a civil war about slavery. We had, you know, people pushing other people out of the way to take land in our country exactly. and sales and all of that. So it was just a giant metaphor.
2: It was a way for me to talk about American war and American religion might modern, by using this overlay of Norse mythology, so maybe people wouldn't get mad at me <laughs>
1: so easily
0: for being like, you know, we're kind of terrible. Um, <laughs> but it's interesting because what you just said about like upbringings, and you were talking about this earlier, like it's it's a core of almost who we are. Like you don't even realize your preset prejudice or your preset ideas, whether it's you know stories from your family. Like you're, there's a part of you that's like Natalie. She's like, wow, well, it's not crazy, or it could be crazy, but. But maybe it's not and that's still family tradition and mm-hmm. it's even like you were saying about in grad school being raised up you know with your father at war and and the patriotism of america it's in mm-hmm. our it's in our blood in the sense that we don't even realize how patriotic we are like i actually noticed that when i was overseas with a non-american and they pointed things out to me and i was like I never really thought about that <laughs> like our pledge of allegiance they thought that was insane and they're mm-hmm. like you do what now at school every day and i was like well, yeah. And they're like, do you realize what that is and how that sounds? And I was like, patriotism. And they're like, you know, it's just a whole different view on that. So it's Mm -hmm. really cool to kind of see those tendrils trickle into these books, which I think adds a whole, you know, that extra element, which kind of is leading me into the next topic I wanted to talk about is almost like the locations as character. And, you know, um, you know, for Natalie, your book, you have the swamp is, it is a character. It really is. It's guys, this is creepy. I was telling them last night, my sister was doing my hair cause we were going out and she's not a big reader, but I was reading parts of Natalie's book and I would be gasping or like sighing. And she's like, what? I'm like, this book is creepy. And I'm reading her bits. And Dana was like, Oh my God. Like it was creeping us out. And it was just like people in the swamp and they're disappearing and there's weird lights. And it was, the vibe, you know? <laughs> like, it was like, oh. And then yours, too. Like, they're, the first book, they're road tripping across America. This book is more like in Canada and Canada, ro- rocky, mountain stuff happening. And just how it becomes its own presence, how it propels the story forward. Like, how, um, how did that... Was location kind of seen as a main character, or did it just sort of evolve to be so big in your stories? Mm. I think this
2: is a, a great question particularly because I agree completely that we are very heavy mm-hmm. on the setting as important. But I also think that in our books, uh, in Beware the Wild and then the new Asgard books, we come at setting kind of from opposite directions. Because in Beware the Wild, like you said, the swamp is one of the main characters. And everything about the book grows out of this very specific, atmospheric, swamp. And, um, uh, so it's kind of like the bottom up, you know, the, Mm -hmm. it seeps up from the ground because that's what a swamp does (laughs) and gets into everything (laughs) from the dark, you know, unconscious below. And, um, my books are, I mean, the new Asgard is a huge world. It's an epic series. Absolutely. And, um, so the, you know, the feel of the world, I think, I like to think, also seeps into everything. Absolutely. But the individual, because it's a road trip, every individual location, for me, was about a specific different metaphor or moment. Like, okay, what, what do I want to talk about in this scene? What do I want to highlight about the
0: juxtaposition of Viking warrior culture and American roadside yep. attractions? Exactly, and that's what's fascinating. It's like, and even that, like the Americana vibe in yours, too. It's really that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this together because they're they're so different, but there's still this like weird Americana traditions very differently done, but
1: just well we've actually we've talked about Tess and I have talked about. Um how our books are, are very, they, they do come from kind of opposite ends of the spectrum because *Before the Wild is very intimate. Like, you don't leave sticks. It's yeah. called sticks it's for called a reason. Sticks, yeah. It's a metaphor. And then Tess also, <laughs> Tess is, has this huge world, and she has to start with layers of religion and politics and what it is she's trying to say before she picks a place to set it, Yeah. Uh, or whatever the scene, whatever the the point right. is to be made but but where the wild actually started with the swamp i mean it was the first image i had was kind of this uh anthropomorphized swamp that had desires swamp monster <laughs> <laughs> not even the monster it just was this
2: what tell them thing. the original the very first line that she ever wrote of the book and i don't think it it's not the first line at all anymore maybe it isn't even in the book but the very first thing she wrote down was the swamp ate my brother. Yeah, that was the first like one. that was the original draft. Of
1: yeah, that. and that's so part that of was
2: it. the core. Yeah, like the
1: kernel of that whole novel. It was, and eventually somebody said, "My Natalie, that's very melodramatic." <laughs> and so I said, "Why? You're very right. I shall cut it out and do something else." But um, uh, it it needed to be there because I, I, I needed it. to set that tone well, for and myself. that immediately um,
0: that zings you right, and I'm like, "Yep, it
1: did. And that's <laughs> what's freaky about it," you know.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, and it's it's fascinating to to recognize that that the culture that we as Americans know and how those affect our art. Because you know, as a professional photographer, I'm the same way. I'm always looking at landscape as as a character to add and mm-hmm. trying to fit that in and fit the themes in. And it's it's you know all kind of sides of the same coin as as artists and where we are and how we're bringing that art to life and mm-hmm. influenced mm-hmm. through what we know, you know, but that's really interesting. I actually love how you said that, like you're right because they are coming from different angles. Cause I could see you literally when you're saying Tess has to pick a spot and then think, okay, what are all of the stuff that I need to be relevant to this? But yet it still comes off. It's all there, but for the reader, it's just, you're still in that moment, which is great. So it's, it's good. I'm a fan of these Thank guys. You. you guys, you need to read. Well, you guys know I love Tessa because I. You're probably the author we featured most on the site because every time I read oh, a book, yeah. I'm like, I love her. We got to get her on some more. And she's delightful, and Natalie's delightful. I met her last year. It's just, you guys, these guys are great. You need to read the books. Okay, so kind of we were just talking about the the location as a character, but I. One of the things I really love about both of these books is how flawed your your human, quote unquote human characters are. Um, there's some seriously crazy stuff, like either screwed up families or berserker tendencies, or you know, um, just strong desires that are maybe seen as against the grain. Um, and so I'm I'm interested to Talk about developing those characters with those interesting, non-typical dimensions and, and how that was for you guys.
1: Hmm. <laughs>
0: <Good>. <laughs>
2: so the,
0: the Strange Maid uh,
2: is about a girl named Signy, And she, when I was creating Signy, I wanted to create a character who I could communicate to readers belonged with the god Odin. And Odin is a terrible god. He's—I mean, he—I don't mean that he like destroys people. He's not and, a benevolent right. Anthony
0: Hopkins.
1: He, He's right. not going to come slash your tires.
2: Right. He is the god of death <clears throat> and madness and poetry, and the place that all of those um, those three things really connect. Ha- you know, death, madness, poetry are so wild mm-hmm. and passionate and dangerous and dark. And I knew it was going to be a challenge creating any character who was a teenager who people would be like, oh, I understand why she wants to be a Valkyrie who, you know, sacrifices <laughs> people. <laughs> Human sacrifice. And, right, and right. I mean, she's like... very... She, and even in her world, she's extreme. Most of the Valkyrie, the modern Valkyrie are... Um, shadows of what they Mm -hmm. used to be just because of how the world has changed and politics have changed. Um, And in the first book, the main character, Soren was a berserker. You mentioned the berserker rage and he hated it and he rejected Mm -hmm. everything that Odin stood for. And so I kind of wanted to write the opposite side of that coin. And I think that it's really hard not to understand Sorin. I and mean, you don't ha- don't have to like him or be invested in him but I think it's but you do to become understand. invested in him in the first I'm really one glad. you totally I'm really do glad. because you're
0: like this poor guy like he can't help himself but you just want him to get what he wants and yet at the same time it's kind of awesome when he goes crazy because then you're like <laughs> what and I love that you made them friends in the second book oh, like they have you. this you know because it really is this totally opposite but she's almost like embracing that darkness and wants to if anything enhance it exactly and he exactly. was like running from it and you know um
2: and I knew I wanted her to be a girl not just because the Valkyrie are such a famous piece of Norse mythology so it would have been kind of weird not to engage with that but I wanted her to be a girl because even more so than men girls especially teenage girls but women in general aren't allowed to be drawn to dark mm-hmm. violent dangerous things mm-hmm. uh, um, and when they are, they're thrust into very specific molds. And so I really tried hard to find a way to make Signy dangerous and crazy, but also yeah. um, fit into her world so well that hopefully readers can be like, wow, yeah, I, she's she's terrible, but that's great. She's a hero too. Yeah, it's it works really well.
0: Um, Thanks. It does. <laughs> it, and that's what I'm saying. This is a funny question because we go from that extreme to like, brothers punching stepdads and, like, you know, <laughs> tormented souls trapped in a swamp. But again, it's still the same, that that, that break of what we call a traditional soul and a traditional mm-hmm. behavior, you know, in your book,
1: too. It's- yeah. I think, uh, well, the main character, is her name is Sterling. And uh, what I really wanted to do with Sterling was kind of explore this... Um, you know when you're when you're a teen you're very much figuring out who you are, mm-hmm. and for sterling the to be in conversation she lives right next to the swamp a lot of her life is is kind of in question there's a lot of liminal sort of ex- mm-hmm. experiences that she has, and I wanted that to be sort of the constant exploration. She can be a frustrating character because she's not she's committed to one thing um, her brother she's yes. very committed to her goal but her path of figuring out how she's going to about freeing him from the swamp, finding him in the swamp, um, what she's going to do in her own life when she does that, because her relationship with her brother is not exactly ideal Ideal in the beginning. Yeah. They're not, they they love each other very much, but they're also a little bit dysfunctional and it has to do with their family background. And, yeah, and, and even and, like her, like when there's a, a
0: overarching storyline in the book about how the brother's a senior, she's a sophomore, and when he's going off to college, she basically stopped eating. Yeah. And, like, her friends are worried she's anorexic and she's doing it for physical reasons, but for her, she lost all desire for food because even though they have this rocky relationship, it's still her,
1: he's like her life in a way. Right. Like, mm-hmm. he's her security. Well, Sterling, um, I really liked that she was both, didn't know really who she was and or who she wanted to be, um, but was very deeply stubborn in a way. And... Uh, That is part of what drives her and part of what changes her. And one of the things I really wanted to do with the book and with Sterling was to look at how these families, both, are are continually creating and recreating themselves around the big events in their lives. Mm -hmm. So they have, um, you know, happy events, but this family in particular also has some trauma. That they're recovering from and the way they are knitting themselves back together both does and doesn't work so this was kind of a all right here's the swamp going on and here's also this family yeah. trying to get themselves moved into a, a healthier and that's what i mean the direction. flaws are there and they're
0: they're unavoidable and in, in all situations for both books it's like they have such a strong presence, and they really do help shape the characters and move them forward. It's not just like, here's a character, and I'm giving them a flaw because they need to be a diverse and complex character. It actually is part of their motivation and their movement forward. You know? I, do,
2: I think our flaws define us um, because it's what we're either always trying to overcome or what is destroying us if we're hmm. not trying to overcome them? Like that I is, think a of Pamela, right, is a personal
1: philosophy, and right, is such fatal a great flaw. character, and he is so messed up. <laughs> but I always think, you know, okay, here is this character who has kept our fascination culturally for hundreds of years, and n- nobody wants to be his friend. But it's wants Horatio
2: wants to be his friend? Horatio
1: <laughs> is a great man, but who actually wants They're to be his They're probably him also friend? doing it. <laughs> that's probably true. Let's be honest. And Tessa Gratton goes in that direction. I usually. Do. But it's it's true. There's truth to that,
0: though, and that's again, it's just you know how things, you know, you're shaped, and you're right. We're fascinated because it's relatable still, and it's still part of who we are. And I love that you're like. I actually, that, what to me, is what's quintessentially Tess. She's like, our flaws are what are destroying us, and I'm like, yep, that's right. Dark and creepy, Tess, like destroy your soul. But it's true. It's you're right because you want to think about my accomplishments and what I've done. But it's at the same time, you you are only as strong as your weakest link, and and you work a lifetime to make them, to weld them together, and and it's interesting to see what happens when they weaken and break and twist and things like that and I think you guys both do it really well in different ways but it's really kind of fun to that's why I wanted to talk about it because for me it was so you know I'm reading with with an interview in mind but it was to me it was obvious not in a like holy crap obvious but I could see it being
1: such a prevalent part of the story so Really that's cool. cool. I'm really, really fascinated by how you're pulling our books together. This is really cool. I know. I'm, I'm good at my job. Yeah, no, you are. Like,
2: come on now. No, all right. Signy would destroy Sterling. Sterling. This is true. For I can't even... Oh, I, not even a question. <laughs> Sterling
1: <laughs> Sterling probably shouldn't be in the ring with Signy. No. I was just going <laughs> to say, that's like a, a smosh, mashing like a moth almost. Let's like. put Candy in the ring with with Sigma. Oh Valkyrie. Valkyrie <laughs> and, like, girl who lives in sticks. Come on. Don't. Love... All look right. All right. Is that the next book? Is there going to be some
0: crossover? Like, going through the swamp and all of a sudden this, like, Valkyrie with an axe comes running out. Like,
1: Odin, you know? There's like, some interesting No, like, there's an idea. Weird, like, crossover fan <laughs> fiction. Who do we pitch that to?
0: I don't know. Your fans would probably love that. I won't even lie. That would be really funny. Okay so kind of the last thing I want to talk about, and we we definitely have touched on this a little bit, but I want to go a little deeper if we can, is just since both books have some really dark and creepy things in them, do you decide to draw a line or do you just kind of let it come out and then see because, you know, these are both YA books and there's, you know, I feel like as, as as a group of books, the boundaries are always being pushed and with what is acceptable, you know, whether it's, with sexuality, with sex, with, you know, violence, and how we, you know, draw that line. And did you feel a need to rein in because it's quote-unquote YA, or did you just let the story kind of unfold? I'm, I'm fascinated by that because, you know, there's levels in these books that are there, and, you, you know, you could have pushed them more. You could have rein them in.
1: And how did you find that balance, I guess? I think we probably both come from opposite ends of the spectrum on this one as well. I feel like I... I probably make a, a less dark choice first, and then I have to look at the book and say, okay, how should this actually be pushed in a way that, that um, justifies what I've been doing up to this point? You Because mm-hmm. the darkness is there for a reason. The darkness has to... It, it, it supports the book in a way. Yes. Um, yeah, it serves a purpose. It's not just dark just to be dark. Right. It <clears> needs <throat> to be there for a reason. Yeah. And um, I think I always start off with a... Uh, more conservative line, and then push outward from there. And Tess is like, blood, blood, gore. <laughs> oh, oh, that that is
2: true. That is that is accurate. Um, I this will also not surprise anyone. Like dark things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started reading Anne Rice when I was ten, and so it's very hard for me on a personal level to think, oh, I'm writing a story for teenagers, but it can't be as gratuitous
0: as Anne Rice's Because book. you, even be- pre-teen, right. was reading it Right, and
2: I think I turned out okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> Can um, we call
1: her mom in right, <laughs> right now? <laughs> oh, you're so just like little darling to <laughs> um,
2: So when I initially was writing stories for publication, it basically didn't occur to me that I had to be aware of my audience when it came to the... the Violence mm-hmm. or the sex mm-hmm. or that kind of stuff. I was aware of my audience for some other reasons,
0: but it wasn't Once whether or not I was, you, get an it was R almost, rating. Right? You were just like, this is how it should be. This is right. what I. Why would anyone question that? And the thing is, is not to sound grossly stereotypical, but you know, I think adults generally underestimate what teens and yes, kids are I think capable that of. Anyways.
2: readers um, police themselves. And I know they do, because when my first book came out, I had a slew of reviews that were basically like, I loved the first hundred pages of this book, and I'm really sad I can't keep reading it, but I can't keep reading, because, oh my god, the blood. Oh my god, the bunny scene. Oh my god.
0: <laughs> I mean, like, so I know,
2: it's, I experienced that Yeah, there's, some, there's
0: lots of blood in that first book.
2: Yeah, and so when I was writing The Strange Maid in particular, which is my, it is not as... Gory as the Blood Books, but it's definitely the the deeper themes are yeah. much more violent. It's very violent heavy,
0: right? Right. And she's and like there's thematic strong sex in there in that sense. Right. Like she's right. she's pushing those boundaries. Right. You know, and I mean, it's fun to have hot kissing, and there's plenty of that too. It's just good to, you know, I so I wondered if it's and it's not just for the sake of it. It's right. part of the story. Again, right. the and violence isn't just like she's going to go crazy or he's going to go crazy or whatever because of my experience with
2: blood magic, I was aware of because Signy is a boundary pusher, and that is probably the one way that she and I are the most alike. Is I am also a what can I get away with in this story? <laughs> um, and so I was aware of it, but I knew that mm-hmm. Signy's core self was passion for everything. If she was looking at puppies. She would do it just as gratuitously as if she is yeah. slaughtering a, battle, a you know, a, a battlefield full of whatever. Yeah. Trolls. Trolls. Yeah. Thank you. I was like, what did I have in that book? Not zombies, but yeah. <laughs> that, well, zombies right. too. <laughs> but so she, everything she does, she does to the max that she's capable of. Mm-hmm. And so I knew that to be true to her, I had to put this, I had to push the story to the max Um, And that was where my editor, um, I was working with Jim Thomas, and he was very good at being like, okay, I understand we have to make this point, but you know, these four sentences, I bet we can make it in one. Yeah. And so he really helped me learn how to uh, take my natural gratuitousness and make it communicate better, I think, by saying, here two little More details yeah. that are yeah precise details that can get to the exact same point without fountains of violence or you know a lovely intimate description of human sacrifice it was like you know if you just say they hung the guy everybody'll understand <laughs> You're like, but, but, like, but what about the the dance? What about you know all of the
0: bodily fluids?
1: <laughs> oh, Tess Bratton. So you're saying the line there is like when you make your editor uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, but see, it make it's interesting. Depends to me. on your editor. Uh, yeah. Your editor, like your specifically. Yeah.
0: It's interesting though because what you just said is kind of what my point was. Is you said if anything you were conscious about pushing those boundaries as mm-hmm. opposed to just being like I'm going to write this book. This is who she is. Go and you. You did do that but you're saying but you also were like I'm gonna push it.
1: Right. You know and then you're
0: reining it in like you're saying you're like I didn't push it and I need to push it further.
1: Well I think that there's probably also some truth to the idea that the darkness in your book has to be reflective of what the character needs. Especially yeah, yeah. maybe if you're writing in first person. And with Signe being such an extreme like she's a going all out character and Sterling is much more like who am I? I know. So <laughs> yeah. um, her darkness is maybe a little bit less no, definitely less extreme than what you would find in The Strange Maid, but yeah, and a it's, reflection. It's cool. I love that you, and one
0: of the reasons I want to do this interview is I know you read each other's books, mm-hmm. so it's nice to have that insight to each other because you know where you're coming from with your stories, but also can see things from a different angle, so it's mm-hmm. cool. Um, okay, awesome. Well, what are, what's happening now? So you're going to be doing, are you working on
1: the next book, or what's going on with Thank you? you? Uh, I've turned in book two, and uh, I don't know what I can say about that.
0: It
2: comes the, out in spring 20... Uh, wait, 16?
0: 16, 2016. 16. I was like, wait yeah. a minute, because it's fall of 2014, so right. I was like, that's quick, but yeah, like a little it'll over be a like year. it be yeah. winter,
1: spring okay. 2016, and uh, I don't... I mean, it doesn't have like a firm title or anything, yeah. but it, it, at this point, it is a, se- a direct sequel. To Fantastic. Okay, good. So that Switches means is fans can like,
2: oh, Switches, narrators, it's that's It's so cool. good. I love it. It's better than the first one. Really?
1: I, I hope that's always... The yeah. <laughs> better be, everything else better be better than the first well, one. Well, I actually, I interviewed,
0: like I was telling them earlier, I interviewed Daniel H. Wilson, the Apocalypse guy, the other day, and I was like, I love the second one better. He's like, well, I would hope so. Like, yeah. well, I'm a writer. I should be getting better with each book. And I was kind of like, well, yeah, you're yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> so what about you?
2: I have a third book in the series, mm-hmm. and I'm going to be releasing a slew of novellas cool. in the series over the next year. Um, just like side character
0: development. And yeah,
2: like... there there are at least three novellas, and they one of them I wrote accidentally when I thought the third book was going to be about these other characters, and then I was like, oh, this isn't the third book, and I turned it into a novella. But all of the characters in it are in the third book. Oh. And then there are just some side character things. Like one of the characters I leave behind in the Lost Son has her own novella. Yeah. And, uh, so things like that, that's that just exciting. kind of develop the world more. Cause I had a few more
0: things I wanted to say well, about and, the
2: United States. And there's Asgard. so much, like
0: you said, an umbrella yeah. of so much that yeah. it's kind of fun for fans who like the world and want to delve in to have these little together. I, kind of, I hope so. That, that's how I felt about writing them. So hopefully. Good. Yeah. Cool guys. Well, I will be seeing them on a panel later today. It's what hot, what's hot in YA. So I'll definitely be covering that for the site. But uh, I just wanted to say thanks. This was really fun. Yeah, I, you, Thank I, you. I'm glad you guys were good. here and we did this. And, um, okay, Letharis, I will check in with you later. This is Lauren Zurchin signing out from San Diego Comic-Con 2014. Bye.